0: Hello and welcome to Squareness Circle. On this episode, I'm joined by Chris Reed, former senior force manager, with multiple years in assignments within the functional area, both in the United States and overseas. He has several combat tours, and most recent assignments include the Department of Army Staff and the United States Cyber Command. He is a graduate of the Virginia Military Institute and holds multiple graduate degrees. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program are of my own and my guests. They do not reflect positions of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or any other organization. This content is for education and information purposes only. All right, Chris. Hey, thanks for being on the podcast. You know, I really, really appreciate it. This is episode five on a series that I'm doing and trying to get different perspectives from senior force managers um, regarding a set of questions that if, if I bend them right, they would be, you know, really about 50 development and uh, kind of like a sort, sort of virtual mentorship program that, I'm, that I got going on here. Um, but before we dive in, I'll, I'll turn it over to you for any opening comments. Um, and as, also, I want to get your take on uh, who do you have winning the Super Bowl this year?
1: Uh, I'll answer the easy question first, which is um, I, I, I don't really care. Um, unfortunately, it's a, it's a <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not a huge Chiefs fan or, uh, or 49ers fan, and it just feels like rinse and repeat. Um, I was really, really hoping for the Browns and the Lions um, or any combination thereof, just anybody other than, uh, you know, the folks that are that are going in there. And and it's so I I just hope it's a good game that, you know, the worst is uh, is watching a blowout, um, especially when you don't care. So if it's a good tight game, I'll watch it. I'll be happy with that. But uh, otherwise, you know, I'll, I'll leave it to the rest of your fans to pick who they want to win. Um, and then as far as the opening, first of all, I, I really appreciate you, uh, reaching out to me and and allowing me, uh, allowing me to be part of this. Um, I, as I told you on the phone, you know, when we talked earlier, I think this is a great thing you're doing. I think, um, you know, as fifties, we, we want mentorship. We need mentorship. We need, um, we need to really just have the, the ability to, to talk across the community and, and find out ideas and find out how everybody's doing and kind of what's going on in the world of force managers. And, you know, having been the former senior FA 50, I'll say that we've done a terrible job and I'll take a lot of credit for that terrible job. Um, You know, we, we hit it here and there and we have some personal relationships and things like that and professional relationships. But I think on the whole, we haven't done it. And I think it's really exciting that, you know, young force managers like yourself are, are taking the mantle, you know, on yourselves and, uh, and doing this and providing it for, you know, your friends and neighbors Within the 50 community and I commend you and I'm, you know, all the folks that are helping you do this.
0: All right. Yeah, in terms of the Super Bowl, I'm the same way. I'm like agnostic. I you know, I hope the commercials are really good this year and I hope it's a good halftime show. You know, I was rooting for the Lions. You know, my team didn't make it, you know, I'm a Vikings fan, and so I went automatically with the Lions. I'm really happy and proud of them because for decades they've been just really it's been a, been rough, rough for them. So I was hoping they would go all the way. Um, but diving into the questions, sure. you know, first one is, you know, everyone has a story, right. You know, why they became a force manager for various different reasons. I'm just, you know, curious to kind of understand, you know, your story, why you became a FA 50. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not the usual story. Um,
1: when uh, so I'm an older guy, right. And uh, have been in for a while. And back when, um, Way back in the day, and we're talking, you know, last century, late 90s, um, I got a notice that said, hey, you have to pick a functional area. And, And to be honest, I didn't even know we had functional areas at that point. This is really, you know, I mean, we had the internet, but nobody was really on the internet. I remember, you know, from my company command, I had two desktop computers. One of them had a very early version of Excel, which did my training schedules, and one of them had a very early version of Word, which did all my, you know, op orders and things. And, uh, and I couldn't put both programs onto a single computer because it couldn't hold it. Um, so when I found out, you know, they were like, hey, what do you want to do? And I, and I listed, you know, my top whatever it was, three or five that we had to put in there. And one of them was FA50. And I just, I, I don't even remember what, you know, 600-3 uh, or whatever the version was back then said about FA50, but I remember it interested me. And so I, I listed it as one of the things. And then I completely forgot about it after that. So when I was at about the seven-year mark, I decided I was, you know, as a captain, I'd already done my company. X. Ex- I was actually in my second company command, um, which was um, I, I rarely share this, so you should feel um, a, a lot of closeness to me because I rarely share this. But I was a recruiting company commander, which I hated. Um, but I was on the economy. I was, you know, this was pre-war um, in the early two thousands. The economy was through the roof. I was, you know, living. Um, in the community, I was getting my MBA and I was getting job offers in the civilian world left and right. And so I thought, like a lot of other young officers, I'm going to get out. I'm going to you know, make my money and there's no wars going on anyway. I've, you know, I've gotten what I needed from the military and I got out. Um, fortunately for me, I stayed in the reserve and uh, you know, bouncing in between um, civilian, a few civilian jobs and, um, and the reserves. So I ultimately started getting mobilized because the wars kicked off. And when I came back in uh, to the regular Army, um, I made a decision at that point, and, and it was based on a couple of things. The first was um, I knew what it was like to get out as a young infantry captain and kind of what my options were, and I decided that my force management um, functional area, which I had been selected for, uh, would probably give me a good basis, you know, when I re- when I got out the second time, which I figured I would go to retirement, um, but I thought, you know, I would. If I was lucky, I would make it to lieutenant colonel and, uh, and I would be retiring again. And I wanted to have something more behind me um, than just um, than just being an infantry officer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It, it just limits your options a little bit. The second thing was, you know, I, as I was coming back in the Army, if you um, well, you won't remember. But for those that are, you know, of an age like me, they'll remember that in the mid 2000s, Iraq was going hard. Afghanistan was going hard and everybody was rotating in, you know, to theater constantly. And infantry branch was telling me, Hey, you're going to be a three, you're going to be a, you know, an XO. And we're going to put you right back into the fight. And to be very honest, I felt like um, having been out for a few years and not practicing as an infantryman, because in the, in the reserves, they didn't have infantry um, with combat going on. I felt like I could contribute and I felt like I could do good things in some manner, but I was, um, but i did not want to do a disservice to a bunch of young infantrymen if i started back up as a 3 and was not as well practiced and well versed as they would have deserved for a unit that was guaranteed to go back into combat and i don't know if it would have happened i mean i could have gone to training or whatever but you know in my mind i felt like that was that was going to be something that you know would, would be a disservice to them and at the same time i knew you know i could contribute as a 50 and i knew i could contribute beyond the small 500 or 1,000 man, you know, battalion that I might serve, I knew that the if if I did my job right, the impacts that I made as an FA50 would would last in the army and across the army for a good long time, um, and it it kind of bore out. So in 2007, as I came back into the regular army, I went to the uh, I went to the Q course, and I was a young major sitting there, and I was listening to these colonels all talking. And, uh, you know, some of them were, there were two of them that were going to be brigade commanders. There was a group of about 10 of them. And uh, the rest of them, the other eight, were not going to get brigade command at all. And one of the instructors said, hey, for those of you that are going to be brigade commanders, congratulations. That's great, you know, great for you guys. You're going to affect, you know, two to 4,000 man brigade, and that's, that's really good. For the rest of you eight colonels that are, uh, that are not going to get a brigade command, what are you going to go do when you take your next job? And there was a big, long, present, uh, pregnant pause, and finally, one of them said, "Run the army," as a question, and the instructor said, "Yeah, that's exactly what you're going to do." So I would, you know, make that argument that that trickles down through the rest of force management. You know, there, when it comes to the to the back end business, Byzantine, you know, bureaucratic processes that make the army run. And there's my shameless plug for our, uh, you know, what our our course is called. That's what we do. And so I would, you know, kind of pass that on to, to all the force managers on here, that the impact that they are going to make across the army is going to be long and deep and a lot longer and deeper than it would be if they were a three or a battalion commander one day. Sorry, that was a really long answer.
0: Okay. So your your first 50 assignment, if you could kind of talk me through, tell me like what were some of the challenges and, you know, what were some of like the, you know, your most proud achievements of, of that first 50 assignment? Yeah, I was a –
1: I I just came in as a force manager into um, FDD. So the – I'm sorry, not FDD, FDR. So the resourcing side within the Army G8 um, Force Development Directorate, FDR specifically does the equipping peg, um, and it does the equipping peg palm to be very specific. Um, So I I came in there working for – then Colonel Jack Daniels, uh, just recently retired Mr. Mr. Jack Daniels, um, who, who was, uh, previously the FDR, um, and just retired out of, uh, ASAL. So, um, when I came in, you know, not knowing much about what it took to be a 50, um, I, I just happened to arrive here right at the height of Palm season. And in the branch that I was in, um, and my memory is not going to work, but there were two sides to FDR at the time. One did the actual POM for all of the equipping peg, and the other one did uh, the POM for a lot of units that didn't have their own POM managers, and and some of them big, TRADOC um, and some other areas, all of the the support resourcing for uh, acquisition command, for the Army staff in the G8, um, the... uh, AFM and C, etc. So I owned those. Um, I owned those accounts, I guess, for lack of a better word, or, or those portfolios. And uh, back in those days, um, I, I don't even know what the program is called now, but it used to be called FITIS, Um and that's an acronym that I could never tell you what it stood for. But it was essentially the Palm um, uh, database of record at the time. Um, and I learned, you know, by putting my hands on the keyboard, how to build a palm, and how to understand requirements, how to understand the interactions with ASALT, with the rest of the, you know, with the G three, um, with with the various other entities within the G eight, so the other hardware divisions, as well as um, as well as back in back then, what what the director of integration did, um, which is a little bit different than what they do today, not a lot, but a little bit. And then, you know, program analysis and evaluation. Um, so just really learning how the army army staff interacted, how the secretariat interacted, and to a lesser degree how the joint force interacted. We didn't have as much play um, at that time with the joint force, but you know, so it was a good early education on kind of how the army is supposed to run from a from a programming and equipping standpoint.
0: And this is kind of jumping around a little bit, but would uh, sure. what, what what are your thoughts on first assignment for a force manager? Because this is you know this is a question that gets brought up you know since time memorial. Like, should we start off at the Pentagon or should we start off at an uh, a- ASCC? Yeah. You know, what what's kind of the the right I guess the right position, the right echelon for a force manager to be able to get into the fight and understand what a force manager does before they move on, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the only
1: right answer is that, if at all possible, we don't start a new 50 out in a one-of-one assignment, because that's really hard, right? Um, And not that, uh, you know, there are folks that get in those positions that, you know, are are already in a division and move up and are able to overcome some of the challenges, but I think that, um, you know, it's a disadvantage we shouldn't put them through. I think as long as you can start out at a higher level and kind of get a broad overview... I, I'm, I'm a little biased because I started out in the Pentagon and I think that that gives you the highest view and the best understanding across, you know, um, all of the, I guess I'll call it functions that, that fall under FA-50 and maybe more importantly, all of the relationships and interactions that occur, that you can take that knowledge as you kind of roll back down, whether it's an ASCC or, or combatant command or down into a core division. Um, so, uh, but we, we don't have that option, right? There's just not enough billets available and the rotation doesn't necessarily work out and, um, and whatnot. So, you know, I think as long as we can keep young FA 50s from starting their first assignment as a one of one, um, then they're going to be okay.
0: Yeah. I don't think there's an actual, you know, right answer here. Um, I think it just goes back to, you know, are you, you know, even if you're at the Pentagon or if you're at an ASCC, you know, are you being value added? Are you, are you trying to get involved? Are you trying to learn different, different competencies within force management and not just completely stove into, you know, your, your portfolio, because then once you leave here or whatever position you're at in, in organization, you leave, you leave to go and be value added and take that one of one assignment. So, yeah, kind and, of, fa- and kind like of fast forward. Jo-
1: no, nope. Yep. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say like any other job in the army, right. If you just do your best um, and try to be your best at that job, you're going to be successful and you're going to learn and you're going to move to that next assignment and carry with you, you know, those things that you need to uh, as you move forward.
0: And then, so being at the division or even a center of excellence, you know, the, the one of ones, um, some of the the struggles is being able to articulate pentagonese you know force management language to you know maneuver division commanders i was just wondering you know what are your thoughts on on that how how do we how do we articulate how the army runs book to someone that's you know never read it not going to read it you know um and be able to understand force management
1: um I, this is going to be a long answer so um I, i'm going to give you a couple of thoughts on that the first is that you know as an fa50 right you're you're never going to be a commander again so you don't and that's good and bad that's 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 bad because um it's difficult to get some experience you know if, if you think about it if you did a company command and then you come into fa50 and the rest of your time is spent at the core, maybe division level, but core level or higher um, is going to be most of it. Um, it's hard to get back down to and, and keep your, I guess, your skills and your mindset home to what it's like to be on the ground with soldiers. And, and at the end of the day, that's who you're working for, um, even though it doesn't feel like it, but that's really who you're working for. Um, so that, that's one thing that, that that's kind of the negative of it. The goodness is you don't own any decisions going forward. Um, and so you become a strategic advisor. And whether that, you know, it's, yes, it's a little more tactical or operational at a lower level, but at the end of the day, you're still a, a strategic advisor. And I think um, that in order to be a successful strategic advisor, you have to have two things. The first is you have to have, you know, I'll call it relevance, but really that's competence in in what you do. And right? if you are competent, if you're up on, um, what's going on and if you, if you understand second and third order impacts, if you understand relationships, who the stakeholders are, what their agendas are, if you understand the atmospherics of what's going on around whatever you know, initiative you're working on, then you are gonna be a value to your boss, you know, that strategic leader who does have to make decisions um, and, and, uh, and, and you're gonna be helpful. The second part is communication. Um, you have to be able to communicate to your boss in a way that they accept, understand, and value. So you can be a great communicator, but be irrelevant, and you are going to be useless. You can be r- super relevant, but be a horrible communicator, and and be useless. And uh, you know, and and I have a kind of an amusing story about that. When I was a, um, you know, I was running the maneuver branch in FDD um, years back as a lieutenant colonel, and and I was you know. Briefing at the highest levels, briefing the chief of staff, briefing the vice, briefing, you know, the secretariat, briefing on the joint side um, at, at the three and four star levels. And my boss, the G8, found a lot of value in me. And then he said, OK, Chris, now you're going to be um, you're going to move into the initiatives group and you're going to do all my, you know, briefings. And thankfully, he didn't do speeches, but, you know, testimony and um, writing like the the modernization strategy, word crafting, things like that. And I remember, like, I was a really good briefer. I had a lot of experience at it. He really valued my briefs. He sent me to brief all kinds of people. And I got in there, and in the first week, he was just destroying all the briefs I built for him. And and I couldn't understand it. I was really, you know, like, getting upset. I'm like, man, this is some of my best work, right? Thinking I'm a great guy. And I remember I came home one evening, and I was talking to my wife, and I was, you know, venting and lamenting my life. And uh, she said, you're not briefing for you. You're briefing for him. What does he want? And, and I remember yeah. it was like a long, long pause as I looked at her thinking, Oh, that was, something, that was a really stupid response. And then all of a sudden I realized, no, that was a brilliant response. Um, and, and I'm the one who's stupid. And I, you know, I went in the next week and, uh, with a blank sheet of paper, and I sat down and I said you know, the words that we were supposed to say, hey, sir, what would you like to talk about in your next brief? And he gave me some ideas and then I started building off that. And then guess what, right? The brief went through first, you know, first draft. He loved it, um, did a great job, crushed it. And then, you know, we, we went from there and everything was good, but you have to remember, right. It's communication, just like in the tactical world goes lower to higher and how you're able to, um, to help those folks um, and, and communicate with them is, is on you. And you've got to figure out what your boss is. Um, likes and how they take information. And I say that because, to your point, right, as you go a little bit more tactical, in particular with those division commanders, it's on you to be able to figure out how to express what, you know, what is going on in the force management world or, or with your tasks, with your, you know, your initiatives that you're pushing, which are his or her initiatives, and how they benefit them, and, it, and there's no like single good answer. You should do this or you should do that. I, I'm just telling you that when you get, you know, to be a 50, and you are in a one of one job in particular where you don't have anyone to help you, it's graduate level work. I mean, is it's not graduate level reading? We still, you know, write everything on an eighth grade level or whatever. But it's graduate level work in terms of establishing that relationship and, and developing yourself. And unfortunately, as 50s, we make you develop yourself. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this, um, into being a, a valuable, relevant, um, and and good communicator in a way that's going to support
0: your boss. Um, yeah, I'm no, I... There, yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, that's, that's really good feedback. And, and I concur, like, I think, you know, I haven't taken a one of one yet. But you know, that's next on the horizon. And you know, this the series of interviews that I've already have done, you know, kind of saying the same thing, you know, be you know, taking initiative, right. Um, you know, being involved, have some foresight, have some vision, be able to see the the tree and and, in the forest as well. And also communication is, is, is extremely important. You know, you can be a, just like you said, you can be a great briefer, but you could be, you know, irrelevant, but you can also be relevant and be, you know, a terrible briefer and you just got to find out like how, how do you connect to, you know, those senior leaders and how they want to receive that information, how they want to digest it and and receive it. Um, And I think like the first, you know, the first couple of briefs can be like trial and error, but you know, you you can pick up on on their isms quick, and as long as you can adapt and you know overcome, I think you know th- those challenges will be, you'll be okay. You know, overcoming those challenges. Um, so yeah, this, and, and this is, I want to. Yep, no, go
1: ahead. I I, I want to stress for a second, right, that those are are both learnable and perishable skills. So you know, no one should be sitting there going, well. I'm just a bad briefer and I can't talk in front of people. That's not a true statement. Um, you can be, you know, the world's biggest introvert and, and have a, ter- you know, have a, I don't know a prolific fear of, of talking in front of people. Um, and you can overcome that. It takes work, it takes practice, and it takes effort. And by the same token, you can be a great briefer and then stop doing it for a while as you move into, you know, different roles. Um, and that skill set will atrophy. Right. You may not be nervous about briefing in front of someone, but and I've had that throughout my career. Where I, I mean, I'm I'm I've never been afraid, as we can see by this you know podcast, I've never been afraid mm-hmm. about talking. Um, but I have gone back and forth between being a good briefer um, and a bad one, based off of how much time I get, how much you know experience I get, how often I'm doing it, and how often I'm working that. So I do think that's an important point: is that you know, sometimes we, we pigeonhole ourselves um, into something and say, well, I'm just not a good communicator. You know, competence is what it is. You you, you have to work to be competent. I don't care who you are. Um, but being able to communicate is that that is a skill you have to work at. Right. Some people are just naturally more talented and, and you know, competence is easier, maybe. But that communication piece um, You know, some people are great at it,
0: but a lot of us are not and we have to work at it and we have to keep it working. No, that's that's great. That's great feedback. Um, I want to move along to another another question, kind of talking about, um, you know, vision and and challenges for the force management community and and where you see things. You know, what are what are some of the challenges that you see now in our force management community? And and where do you see the F.A. 50 world going? in the, in the future? Do you think it's going to be the status quo kind of look like the same now or change over the next, you know, five, 10 years?
1: Um, Yeah, that's a great question. And I imagine as you ask, you know, 10 or 15 senior um, force managers, you're going to get 10 or 15 different answers based on our opinions. I I think, you know, I'll go back and answer the first one. I hope it does not look like it looks now. Um, I can tell you that it does not look today like it did 15 years ago. Um, when I first became a 50, um, or actually, uh, yeah, shit, almost 20 years ago. Um, right. I I hope it doesn't because if it does, then I would argue that in five or 10 years, we won't have an FA 50 branch anymore because we'll be useless. Um, Mm -hmm. when I first came into FA 50, to be really honest, it was a lot easier than it is for you guys today. And, and, you know, I I mentioned this, uh, earlier when we talked, but when I came in, um, it, it was pretty easy because, we were, everything was army force generation, right? There was a patch chart that showed which unit was going to be deploying, what their, um, you know, what their LAD date was, uh, when they were going to, you know, their I forget what LAD stands for, but essentially the, the uh, last day that they were going to be um, able to achieve the readiness levels they needed before they would deploy, right? Um, and if something happened, I don't know, if there was a, you know, a glitch in the system or something fell through the vice chief of staff of the army every week had a civets and a, a, a secure VTC. And if there was a problem, he was on he was on a civets with the brigade commanders and they would get it fixed. Right? So if worse came to worse and every 50 failed on something um, as they were trying to get, you know, equipment, people, training, um, y- you name it uh, in alignment, then the uh you know the the four star and the actual commanders on the ground will get it fixed kind of last minute and it would all and know it would all work so no no unit was going to miss its LAD date so it was easy as a 50 you just had to know the process you had to know where to go etc um and it was work it was hard work it was a long work right we were you know we were in the in the fight but it was relatively easy today you guys don't face that now um you know, you have, it's a more difficult process because everybody's trying to get rid of the process. And if you go in there and try to tell them to follow steps one through 10, even if you don't need steps five through seven, you know, they're going to crush you. Um, they're looking for results. They're looking for you to be able to help them get the things that they need, um, and be successful. But it's not a, you know, it's it's not a, an assembly line like it was when I first started as a, as a 50. And how it's going to change going forward, you know, I, I I don't have a crystal ball. But I suspect it's going to be driven around a lot of things like automation about data and our ability to not only um, harness it, but use it and, vis- and, and provide visualization to our our uh, you know, senior leaders, who, whomever they happen to be, whomever we're working for, in a way that they understand. And we're not going to be able to just use process, nor are we going to be able to use you know a book on how things are supposed to go um, as our, you know, as our, our uh, bona fides or as our, as our evidence in why they should listen to us. We're going to have to kind of get on board with a lot of things. And you know, our systems today you know, even within the army, our systems don't talk very well. They don't; um, mm-hmm. they're not interoperable. They're not integrated. Um, they're definitely not on the joint side, right? If you're talking about, it doesn't matter if you're talking about requirements, about equipping. You know, our ability to to harness and use data and analytics to back up, you know, the 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 options and recommendations that we're making to our senior leaders is very limited. And I think that is going to be one of the things that we need to do as fifties is get ourselves more in alignment with that, embrace it, understand it, and master it. And and I'm going to point to, you know, our brothers and sisters in the, in the FA 49 Orsa world, Mm. with where they have gone with data analytics, and a lot of things like that, and say, if, you know, if we don't get on board with that, then I think we are going to be obsolete very quickly
0: so I, I've heard this before and I kind of want to get your thoughts on, do you think that the force management in the Orso world should just be en- enmeshed into just one functional area or this sh- do, do you think they should be completely separate? Cause I, cause I've heard the argument that they should be together. Um, but you know, I, I, I kind of can see both sides. I just kind of want your thoughts. Um,
1: I, I don't know. So, first of all, they are very complementary, um, and I think that um, I, I often wonder if the Orsa world is going to split a little bit because of, you know, those folks that are kind of sticking on the traditional Orsa path, and those others that are heading down data analytics side of things. Um, I, I think I, I think I like a couple of things about it. I do think they're complementary, and I do think that um, I do like that they are essentially managed together. Should they be one functional area? Um, I, I think it merits the discussion, um, but I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have a hard opinion either way. As long as the force managers do those things that that I mentioned, you know, in my last answer, in, in terms of, you know, getting in, getting in line and on board with. The fact that the, the, not just the army but the department is a data, needs to be a data driven enterprise. It's easy to say it; it's harder to do it. And I think 50s need to get um, deeply entrenched in that and enmeshed in that. Um, it, it it just has to be part of what we do. Um, so, um, and, and by the same token, right? I, I mean, I've done, I've been in 49 positions before um, and, and faced a little bit of, um, bias against, you know, my abilities because I wasn't a hard skilled 49, even though I could do the things that they were doing. This was before data analytics, you know, and, Uh and, um, and just doing some kind of relatively easy or so work. Math is hard, but it's not that hard and, uh, and we can all do it. So, um, I, i'm going to stick with I think they are complementary but i do think that you know i do like the way that we're managed together and i think that we need to adopt some of their um, willingness to uh, to um, reinvent themselves as a branch I, I think that's been good for them and i think it would be good for us
0: for the orses I think what they do is really cool i think it's very interesting and I think there's a lot that we can learn and there's you know i i, I try to Pick the brains of uh art horses you know all the time to try to get you know you know get some get, get some things in my toolbox from from them um but i also think you know and we talked about this on on the phone as well i think one of the things that they are getting right is the development of their of their people in their functional area um you know going out there and getting like certificates and other training um and and data analytics and data visualization and i think they have like phd programs and things of that nature to to get better in their in their craft um so i was wondering you know what are your thoughts on some of the uh, some of the development opportunities that we have in the in the 50 world and should we replicate some of the stuff that's in the 49 world so um yeah, one hundred percent
1: you are right, they do a great job and one hundred percent you are right, we suck as force managers. Really the only thing that we have um that, that we've probably done fairly well is advanced civil schooling. Um, and I think that's I think that's good. I think that's a, a strong program that we should continue. But um, when I was the senior force manager, I wanted to take one of those scholarships, roughly fifty thousand dollars. Um you know, that, that we use to pay for someone to get a degree. We had five and we were having trouble filling all five of them. I wanted to take one and break it into a bunch of smaller things. And, uh, you know, I wanted to send people to do things like um, organizational design, um, data and analytics, AI, ML. Um, and, and we're not talking I'm not talking about getting a Ph.D. in it. I'm talking about going to MIT or Stanford or Johns Hopkins um, or Carnegie Mellon for a week and taking those courses. They have those courses right now at, at kind of mm-hmm. the senior level, 06 and SESGO level, and I've taken a couple of them. Uh, one at Johns Hopkins and one at, at, um, at Carnegie Mellon. We need to do, and it's great, I'm glad, you know, but it was because I, I was a one star and I had that opportunity. I needed it, for sure, but you know when I really needed it? When I was a major, just like you guys do, yeah. right? And that, if, if I had to take the investment, um, of of you know one or two of those scholarships, that's where I'd put it, and I would send you guys. And I did this in special operations, right? I had the money and uh, and the ability. I sent people to. It, it wasn't just those kinds of things, but I sent them to like conflict negotiation, overcoming uh, objections. You know the the ability to um, you know when you, when you think about kind of on the what we do in the fifty world as we're trying to present options and get people to accept. You know things that may not be good for them on in the short term, but will be good for, you know, the army or the or the joint force in the long term is difficult, and it helps if you have some understanding of how to um, work through that with people that are not necessarily too friendly to what you want to do. Right, so I I 100% agree with that. I think I think if we don't start doing that, um, number one, it's going to make us irrelevant because it's hard to get it. You know, for four or five. you know, advanced civil schooling degrees, you know, every two years. Um, and then number two, I think it's, it's just a waste of a tremendous opportunity that is out there. There's a lot of good training that we can get through the army. Um, and you know, if the, uh, the Oracle used to do a pretty good job, um, of putting out a lot of, um, you know, the, the websites where we can get various certifications, et cetera. Um, but I think that we should be enforcing that as as a fifty branch and giving our our um, our younger officers those same opportunities early enough where they're going to be able to use it um, and and take advantage of it going forward. Um, and then the second thing I'm going to kind of add into that is I think we should um, I think we need to take more, if you will. From those folks that we give opportunities to, whether it's training with industry, whether it's advanced civil schooling, if you're going to, you know, the War College, um, and I I mentioned this on the phone when I was in special operations, if you were going to War College or you were going to training with industry or you were were going to a fellowship, they made you do a homework assignment, think of a term paper, and it was their choice of what it was. I mean, you got a choice, but they gave you some topics, and that was kind of your, you know, your ticket to get back into special operations. I mentioned, you know, when I was going to the War College, I actually thought I was coming back to Special Operations. I ended up going to Cyber Command, but in order to get back in, they had me write a paper on reestablishing, re-establishing human at the combatant command level, a human capability at the combatant command level, and I chose UCOM. Um, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, well, that's not quite true. I had a limited idea of, of what human capability used to be there, it was a, you know, it was a classified paper um, and I had to do a ton of research and, you know, um, and test my theories and get a lot of feedback from folks. But ultimately, right, I, I, I paid my dues. I wrote a decent paper. I got a good grade on it. Um, and then, you know, of course, I, I didn't go back into special operations. But nonetheless, they got the use of the paper, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. And I think we need to do that for those folks that we send out, even if, even if it's as simple as you know writing a piece for the Oracle or you know something that's going to get spread out to the FA50s on you know what they did, what they learned, and what they could bring back from whatever that you know broadening educational assignment was. Um, and again, I, I really key in on any kind of educational opportunity, any kind of training with industry, um, and any kind of um, like fellowship broadening opportunities. I think we really need to capture the goodness of what those fifties learn beyond what they're just going to personally apply when they, when they get back into the force management world.
0: Yeah, I concur with the, uh, the Oracle. I mean, it's a, it's a platform where you can get some ideas out there. So, you know, I highly encourage, you know, all the force managers out there to, you know, get those, get those ideas on paper and, you know, let's get them published. Um, And then, you know, uh, there's websites out there as well that you know can uh, you know help you and try to get like a foundational understand understanding of uh, like specific areas like machine learning and data analytics and visualization um, you know when I was at the the schoolhouse the center of excellence at uh, fort Leonardwood for the MP schoolhouse um, our commandant was really driving uh Coursera um, for our for our students to participate in you know you know it won't be it won't make you a sme in in that area but it you know will Get you you know a foundational understanding of you know data analytics and machine learning and ai and data visualization a little bit and change management project management that, that sort of stuff but you know if we can't if we can't send you to mit and stanford you know i mean those opportunities are are there and then I think also like looking at your your surrounding areas so if like arson you know we got the University of South uh, Carolina which is in our backyard you know they offer a, a one-week course on you know get your PMP you know your project management um, which you know a lot of our, our 50s are, are taken advantage of and it's it's paying dividends and when they leave Arson, they you know they go on to another organization and they can take that training that learning there as well um, to go back a little bit on your, in your special ops, uh, background, I was just wondering, uh, was it a culture shock, um, like a difficult adjustment to go from conventional to special ops and and vice versa? Um, yeah, actually, uh, yeah,
1: that in, in, uh, not enough time for all the good stories, but I'll I'll give a, a, you know, the first one. So I, you know, I went into a special mission unit, um, and, uh, and it was, Pretty simple. I got an email that said, "Hey, do you know any FA fifties that uh, might want to go do something? We're not going to tell you what it is or where it is, but you know, it, it'd be it'll be cool if they get in." And I said, "Yeah, I got one name for you, and it's Chris Reed, right?" So, um, <laughs> and it ended up working out. I got, I got, you know, I got accepted, and I got in there, and I I went in to do um, a seat. I was the the combat developer, so very much, you know, is an actual fifty position um, that exists out there that we've you know continued to fill. Um, and, uh, but, but the fun part about it was within three months, um, the deputy commander of the unit, we, we had, we had actually at the time three different deputy commanders. We had one that did operations. We had one that did, uh, support and we had one that did resourcing. And that's kind of common in the, in the special mission world. Um, well, the, the, the guy that was doing resourcing and the guy that doing, that that were doing support were leaving. Um, and they decided they were going to combine them. So the, the deputy commander for support, who was a senior guy, called me. We were we were down in Tampa, and he called me downstairs, and uh, he said, "Hey, uh, you're going to take over from me um, in about three months. Do you have any problem with that?" And I said, "Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what we do yet. You know, I've been here like a month and a half." Um, and uh, and he said, "Yeah, you'll be fine." And that guy, um, this is kind of the fun part of the story. That guy was a guy named Chris Miller, who was the acting. Uh, secretary of defense for about three months, you know, back in, um, in uh, late uh, 2020, 2021, and kind of infamous from the uh, January 6th events. Um, Yeah, but, um, you know, true, true to his word, three months later, he called me upstairs. And, uh, and he said, Okay, you're in charge, and I'm leaving. And I said, Okay, great. You know, let's, let's do our, uh, let's do our transition. And he said, No, I would forwarded you all of the emails you need, and I'm leaving. And then he walked me into the commander's office. He said, hey, Chris, is your new deputy commander, and I'm out? And he left. (laughs) Like, that was our transition. Um, And, you know, I'm quite shell-shocked, right? I walked out. I walked over to my office. I I checked my email. He had sent me six emails. Three of them were from the same, uh, you know, the same, like, thread. Um, And he was gone. And there was a line of people out out of my door, you know, and this is at like five o'clock on a Friday. And that's how I jumped into being a deputy commander of a, of a special mission unit. Um, and then, you know, the, the and so what do you do? You just start working, right? I mean, I'm a steal from the Martian. You, you get to work and you solve the first problem. And that's what I did. Um, and it ended up being, you know, two and a half years of the absolute best assignment of my career completely changed me. My you know, what I, where I was going, what I was going to do, um, and and had nothing to do anymore with being a 50 for two and a half years, um, but gave me tremendous opportunity coming out of it. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, kind of forward this into, uh, one of the other, you know, things that we talked about, which was, what do you do when you get offered those hard or difficult jobs? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, my, uh, and and I'm going to give you the, um, you know, I think it's there's a there's a quote that's floating around out there from Richard Branson, the the guy who runs Virgin Atlantic, that says if someone offers you a tremendous opportunity, you d- and you don't know how to do it, say yes and then figure out how to do it. Um, and, and I'm a big believer in that. I think as fifties, we are talented enough, we're good enough. You know, it's it, you're you're not staying in the military that long anymore. Um, unlike when I was, you know, like when I made lieutenant colonel. I was in the 95th percentile. What that meant is 95 percent of the majors made lieutenant colonel because they needed so many. You guys are not facing that now. It's a much much tougher cut, right? So mm-hmm. as you make it further and higher, you're you're just a better group of officers than than you know than I was when I was coming through the same kind of gates, um, and you guys can do it. And we have several of examples out there right now. You know, folks that are doing really hard jobs, they're not FA fifties, but I promise you when they get back into the force, they're gonna be that much better for having taken on that challenge and for having learned and excelled in a in a you know completely different environment. When we get out of our comfort zones, we do better because we're forced to. When we're in our comfort zones, we're lazy. It's just human nature. So when we get out of it, You have to start paying attention. You have to work that much harder. You have to be that much better. Um, And I think it really, I think that really pays dividends not only for you as an individual officer, but I think it also pays dividends for our, our branch as a whole.
0: All right. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for part two of our discussion in the next few days.